We're in James chapter 5 today, wrapping up the book of James. We've been walking uh, verse by verse through it for, I think it's the seven weeks now. Um, So if you want to be turning there in your Bible or scrolling there on your app, we're going to read that here in just a couple of minutes. I do want to remind you of the way that we're going to walk through chapter 5. Following Again, the acronym itself is just supposed to be a helpful reminder to you of a great way to study the Bible. It's not the acronym that's, that's magical or anything, but this approach to the Bible is really important. Acronym built on the word text, starting with talk to God. The idea that we aren't coming right now just for an intellectual or academic engagement of this text. The point is not just to get information and that if all we do is have a human time of human study, that we haven't really accomplished what God intends to accomplish when we come to him in his word, that that this would be a spiritual time where God is teaching us by his spirit, that he's opening up our eyes spiritually to see things that we wouldn't see naturally. He's opening our ears spiritually to hear the truth. He's softening our heart to receive and believe and love and trust and worship him. And that all of that is a spiritual work that only he can do. And we are dependent on him to do that. That we can't make it happen. We are unable to do this apart from him. And so we start by praying and acknowledging that and asking him to do what only he can do. And then we come to the Bible and we're saying our focus is God. Encounter God in his word, that we're going to read James 5 straight through out loud, and we're saying, God, we want to encounter you. We want to know truth about you. We want you to teach us. We want you to speak to us, and we want it to be what the Bible says, not what I say, not what I think, not your opinions, that none of us would bring our own thoughts from the outside and then force them onto the Bible and say, we're going to find a way to prove that the Bible agrees with what I think, but rather we would come and say, God, we want to submit to you. We want to be under your authority. We want to hear from you. We want to encounter you. And these, this encounter God in his word, I didn't leave enough room, so I'm not going to write them down. But for those of you that are here week after week, I know I write them every week. What does this teach us about God? That's the first question we're asking. As we read James 5 today, I want you to be listening to what the Spirit says to you. What does this teach us about God? And then also, what does God teach us about ourselves? In light of who he is, in view of who he is, what do we know about us if we're apart from him? What do we know about us when we're connected to him? And then, based on those truths, as God speaks to us and teaches us, examine your heart. That again, this wouldn't just be intellectual and this wouldn't just be practical. Like, yeah, I'm going to, out of self-will and self-discipline and some religious rituals, I'm going to change my behavior a little bit. But rather, there would be actual heart change taking place. That God would speak to our hearts. He would challenge us. He would comfort us. He would encourage us. He would convict us. And that he would do a work by his spirit who is living in us to be changing us from the very core of who we are. That, that, yeah, behavior will change. Our thoughts will change because our heart is changing, because he really is speaking to our hearts and working in our hearts and doing the deep type of spiritual work that he says is his work of grace, not just this outward work of religious law, but the inward work of the Spirit. And then we come back at the end and we pray again, asking God whatever he's revealed to us that he will do it, confessing our need for him to do it, and then we take this knowing that God intends for us to reproduce it, that he doesn't give anything to us just for us because this life is not about us. 
that whatever he gives to us, he intends for us to share with others. And it's one of the reasons that I was excited for us to start uh, with Miguel and Faith this morning. And this idea of we have people that have come to follow Jesus and the expression of that in their life is that they are teaching other people what it looks like to follow Jesus who are then teaching other people who are teaching other people the, the spiritual reproduction that I, that I hope we're talking about week after week after week here of disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and to say that that's not just for missionaries in Peru. It is for missionaries in Peru. It's for missionaries all over the world, all nations. But it's also for you and me right here today, this week, that, that God would be taking the things that he's pouring into us and as he lives through us, pouring those into other people's lives, that you come here this morning, not just to come here this morning. You come here this morning so that you will be the church, that, that this week we will live out who God is calling us to be as Jesus lives in us. And so this last piece here, and others, if we do all the rest of this every other week and we never get to the talk to others, we're missing the point of the whole thing still. And I don't say that in a way like just to like beat you to death, but a way to be honest with you of Jesus clearly says this. This is what he's calling his church to, to be, like who he's calling us to be. And a huge measure of is this other stuff really taking root in our life is, is it pouring out to other people? And until it is, it doesn't mean stop doing this other stuff, but it means that we need to be honest about, hey, God, I still need you to work in my heart with this other stuff. There needs to be more change in me because I know that this is what, you've, that this is what the church looks like. This is who you've called us to be as we follow Jesus. And so this is the place where we're constantly heading, constantly, God, do this in us, do this through us, use us in that way. And so we're gonna do this right now together. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna read James 5. And as we're reading James 5, I'm gonna ask you, be listening. What's this teach us about God? And then what's God teaching us about ourselves as well? And we'll move on from there. So let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege of studying the Bible together and of being able to come to you, the God of the universe, and ask that you would teach us, that you would speak by your spirit from your word, and that you would do the work in our hearts that only you can do. We confess, Father, that more than anything in the world, we need you to do that. And we trust you because of your grace that you are willing to do it and you are able to do it. So we thank you and we ask you to do this work right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, James chapter 5. And uh, James, right off the bat here, these first few verses, Gives us another great Hallmark greeting card um, like he seems to do every single week. And I had an idea, by the way, just in connection with Faith and Miguel being here, that if one of you wants to take this business idea and run, like, a whole line of cards from the book of James that are like real world on. So, you know, like somebody gets a promotion, right? Now, who, whoever wants to make this greeting card. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And so if you want to start a line of cards from the book of James, we'll take all the, the proceeds from that and we'll support missions. Does that sound good? Um, it, but it has. I told the staff in a staff meeting on Monday that preaching through James like every week, I'm like, man, I was so harsh today. Like I was so hard on everybody. The whole, like I feel beat up when I get done. And then I go back and I read the chapters like, no, that's what it says. <laughs> like, that's exactly what that chapter said. Um, and so we got another round of this this morning, but I promise it is good for our hearts. There's, a, there's an honesty and an authenticity to what James is saying that when we come and we say, God, I know apart from you, I'm not all right. I'm not okay. And if all I come and hear is stuff that says I'm okay and that my heart's okay and the way I, everything about the way I live, it's just, it's not true. And that's not what I need. I need you to expose my heart. I need you to, to rip me open and show the worldliness that still lives inside of me. And I need you to remind me all over again of how much I need Jesus and how much I need to be set free from this world and the things of this world so that I can truly love Jesus because he's what matters. And if I live my whole life for the things of this world, and I never get set free from that, the day's gonna come when I'm gonna know I've wasted my life. And the most loving thing that could happen right now, if this is true of us, is for God to say, hey, this is true of you. And you need to know it, and you need to see it, and it needs to drive you to Jesus. There, there is a desperate need in your life for Jesus to work in your heart and to set you free from these things so that you can live for him because a day's coming when he's all that's gonna matter, and it's gonna be clear. He already is all that matters, but a day's coming when you're gonna know it for certain forever. And so don't waste your life on the stuff that doesn't matter. That, that's my setup for what we're getting ready to hear. So in light of that, as we read chapter 5, What's this teach us about God? What's this teach us about us? Here we go, James 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast, You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right, that's James chapter 5 and also the end of the book of James. What's that teach us about God and also about us? But truths about God and truths about us that you hear this morning. Patience. Let's frame that into we need to be patient. Why? Can anybody from the text give me a why, especially about God? Okay. Because <laughs> God is coming. Okay. Because God sees everything. All right. <laughs> One, two, three, sermon is done, right? <laughs> because God is judge. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot packed in right there that if you really believe, there's one more I want us to get to, but if you really believe that God is, and we saw this like in chapter four, that God's the one true lawgiver and judge, and this judge sees everything, make my L a little better there, and he is coming back, then we can wait patiently for that. Everything's gonna get taken care of the right way then. And that changes how you live now when you believe that. And so these three truths about God all ground, because the deal is, I don't know about you, but when I really want something and patience is hard to come by, somebody like, be patient. Does that help you at all? Like it helps me about as much as when I'm nervous and somebody says, don't be nervous. It just doesn't help. Maybe it helps. Does it help anybody? Okay, good. It's not just me. So just the be patient is just like that. No, like that just stirs up in me all the more. This thing that you're talking about is, is, is such a big deal that I, I can't be patient about it already. But when you say, instead of it being about us and just folks, you do this or you, you respond this way, think about who God is. When you, the more you see who God is, this thing that was such a big deal, he's big enough that it's not, it may be every bit as big as you thought it was, but I promise he's bigger. And I promise that he's so much bigger that every time for just a second you pull your eyes off of whatever it is that's been consuming you in this life and you look to him, you're gonna see that he is that much bigger. And if you know truths about him, if you keep reminding yourself, reminding your heart and your mind day after day after day and moment after moment after moment of who he is, that frames how you look at the rest of this stuff. And so, yeah, patient because of these things. And then one more thing that I want us to see about God as well 
And it's in this section of like when James is telling us to be patient. Let's mark all these. And he tells us several times here, be patient. And here's one of the truths, because he's coming back. An example about the farmer as an illustration of patience. So you also be patient, for he's coming back, and it's soon. The judge, the one who's coming back, is the judge. Examples of suffering and patience from the Old Testament, the prophets, and then Job. And then finally we get to this. Here's why you can be patient. Because the one who's the judge, the one who's coming back, the one who sees everything, he's also compassionate and merciful. Like He's not watching what you're going through, cold-hearted or distant or unconcerned. He has compassion for you the way that a father has compassion for his children. He's full of mercy. And so when you're suffering, there may be a purpose to it. And because there's a purpose to it, he may not end it right now because he knows there's things that need to come out of this for you, that he loves you enough that he's gonna do this work in you. But just know this, when he doesn't end it right now, when he's accomplishing these purposes, even through your suffering, through the things that he's calling you to be patient through, it comes from a place of compassion and mercy from a father who loves you. And what good news it is that the one who is the judge over everything, who's gonna have the final word about all things, that that guy, that judge, is full of compassion and mercy. What if he were harsh and hard? What if he were cold and distant and uncaring? Him being the judge would be a really frightening thing. Or flip it the other way, what if he was compassionate and merciful but he didn't have the last word? What if he wasn't going to show up someday and be able to make everything the way it's supposed to be? His compassion and mercy, it it would be sweet. It would be kind. But it really wouldn't mean a whole lot because he couldn't bring it about. Do you see how great it is for the one true God, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be the one who is in control of all things, over t- the authority over all things, and also be the one who is personally compassionate and merciful to you. So be patient. Because God is compassionate. And merciful. And I would even push you as far on this whole first set to say, stop focusing on you being patient. Like every time you think, I've got to be more patient, it's just going to stir up a frenzy inside of you that's not patient. And just focus on these things. The more you see these truths about God, the more who he is will produce lots of fruit in you including the type of patience that James is talking about here. What else do you see today? Truths about God, truths about us. Great. Great. 
Fill your time with prayer and praise. And again, when your mind is drawn to God and focused on God, it's amazing the amount of time that'll pass and you'll realize, I guess in a way I was patient about this because I wasn't actually thinking about it. You know, if I tell you to sit here for a minute and we all, if I don't say a word for the next minute and we sit here, it will feel like forever in that awkward silence that I let us sit in whenever you all aren't answering yet. Um, But we start talking, somebody's talking, and I'm writing down, and you'll look down, and it's like, well, I, you may not do this, but I just like, well, 42 minutes is gone. <laughs> I guess we've got to wrap this thing up. Uh, but it is that, that your mind is, is filled with something, and this was one of the things that stood out to me here at the end. Is anyone suffering? So if you're suffering, what's the answer? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praise, which is a type of praying. Anybody sick? Let the elders pray over him. Has anybody sinned? Confess your sins and pray about it. That every situation James brings up over and over and over is, do you respond to this in prayer? Because if you're believing who God is, all these things that we just said about, that he's the judge who has authority over all things, that rules over all things, and he's also compassionate and merciful, what situation would you not bring to that person? Do you pray like you believe who God is? Or does the way you pray reveal that we may say we believe these things about God, but we don't really, you know, functionally life-changing way believe them about God yet? The way that we pray says a whole lot about who we really believe that God is. And it's when, when things are hard, when you're struggling, pray. When things are going great, pray. Praise. Thank God. When you've sinned, confess and pray. Because this is a merciful God. This is a compassionate God. If in any of those situations the response isn't prayer, there's something we're not believing about God. Either we're not believing, hey, he does have a purpose, and he's working it out, so even in the middle of my suffering, I'm going to pray. Or every good and perfect gift comes from him, so when good things are happening, I'm going to praise him, and I'm going to thank him. Or when I mess up, and when I sin, and when I stumble, and when I fall— He's a merciful God who forgives. So I'm going to pray. He's a God who, the way chapter 4 said it, gives more grace. So I'm going to confess. I'm not going to run and hide. I'm not going to act like I've got to get it all right. I'm going to admit it to a gracious and merciful God who has grace and mercy for our mistakes and heals us from our sins when we confess and pray. In every area, does the way we pray reveal that we believe the right truths about who God is? And do you see again that knowing who God is is the ground for everything else? That if you don't have the right view of God, you won't pray the right way. Like you, you won't, you can't do your religion correctly without knowing who God is. That it all grows out of Him. It's all because of Him. And and one of the practical ways that um that God has been teaching me over the past several years to live out this section of, do you pray this way? And, and I don't know that this is the answer for everybody, but this has been really good for me, and so I just want to share it with you this morning. Is God has been teaching me, I'm going to write this down, and it may sound weird to you, but stop thinking and pray. And here's what I mean. I don't mean disengage your mind and pray. What I mean is I find that my way of going through life is that whatever's going on, I'm churning it in my head all the time. 
What I'm basically doing is talking to myself all the time about everything, whether it's work or home or a problem, something stressful, something good, just plans I'm making. Like I'm always thinking about all of it. And and I feel like God has been impressing on me and and from different sources, uh, devotionals that I read, just my time in the Psalms, especially where God has said, stop thinking and talking to yourself and whatever you would think, talk it to me. Like talk through your thoughts with me. And so instead of me just thinking like it's just me in the moment, and it's just me in this thought. Whatever would be going, and, and I'm trying to learn to not even edit it. Like the way that I would think it, to just say it to him. Like this, this is what I'm thinking about. Right? Here's what's going on. Here's how I feel about that. And, and not here's the right answers. Like, you know what? I, I'm really anxious about this right now, Father. And so I find, like I, I want to do this, this, and this. Or I think maybe I should do this. Or maybe but if I do that, maybe this will happen. Or, you know, I start thinking about this. And I'd like, I'd like to go in this direction, but then I'm worried about this. And just to talk through it with him. And I find that the more that I really pour out my heart and my thoughts to God, first of all, I'm continually aware of the fact that he's here right now. It's not just me. <laughs> like I'm not the center of my world and I'm not the answer to everything in my world. And the answer is not, I'll think my way through this. And if I can, if I can figure it out and master it in my own thoughts, I can take care of it. That's not the answer that he is here with me and he's in this moment and he hears me and he's the answer. And so let me bring all this stuff to him. And, and it has been just this, this really gracious aspect of my relationship with God. How many times I find him as I'm talking this through him, I'll get a few minutes into this prayer, or, you know, five minutes into this prayer and all of a sudden I'll pray something and it's like, oh, that's the answer. <laughs> You talked me through all my garbled mess of thoughts. And when I said, and as soon as I say it, I just know that's where you wanted me to get. And it's like he had me say it to him because he was saying it to me. And that's the best way I know to describe the experience. But I want to encourage some of you that just all throughout your day, I, I, I know it feels impossible to pray continually when Paul says that. And it is impossible if you think it means stop living your life and just pray. It, I think what it really means is make God the center of your consciousness instead of you. That you don't spend all day referring to you as the authority about everything. Okay, I've got to figure this out, so I'm going to think through it. No, I've got to figure this out, so I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to talk through it with God. I'm feeling this right now. Instead of trying to control what I feel or analyze what I feel or fix what I feel or indulge in what I feel, I'm going to talk to God about what I feel. I'm just going to continually, in the Psalms, it says, pour out your hearts to him. That whatever's going on in me, I'm going to have this ongoing dialogue, conversation with him about it. And then, in conjunction with that, I am going to be reading the Bible and hearing what he's saying back to me. Because I feel like a lot of times, the way that God speaks to me is straight out of Scripture. Or he pops it in my head while I'm praying to him, or I'm reading, it's like, yes, I, I know you're saying that to me right now. But to shift where whatever category it is, James is saying, and it is. Whoever said this about prayer? Shua. Um, that we find one of the reasons that we're so consumed with stuff in the world is because our mind is focused on it all the time. And you replace that with, 
I'm focused on God all the time. Like even when stuff's going on in my life, stuff in the world that's got my attention, that's pulling my heart away from God, instead of me, instead of the focus being, I've got to fight against that. Like I feel impatient about these things, so I've got to be more patient. You're still focused on this thing, right? Do you see how ineffective that is? And it's like, I need to replace that with the one who really should be at the center. And I'll do that by bringing this stuff to him. Like I'm by self-will, I'm not going to reach in here and just pull all this stuff out of my mind. I'm not thinking about that anymore. It, I'm not thinking about blank. You're thinking about blank, right? You're thinking about not thinking about blank. But instead, I'm going to bring this to God and I'm going to give it to, and I'm going to trust that he's bigger than this and he's merciful and he's compassionate. And if I have to keep talking to him about this every second for the next 10 months, so be it because at least I'll be talking to him. And if this drives me to him, then I'll just keep talking to him. That, that section of James, as, as I was reading it this week, I just kept feeling like, thank you, God, for the ways that you're bringing me to recognize my neediness and my dependence and my desperation, the ways you're using that in my life to drive me to talk to you, to pray, to really bring this to you. Um, and so, yeah, stop thinking and pray. Fill your time with prayer and praise. What else? Something else. One more that stands out to you. Okay. Consumerism can be a witness against us. Let's just go ahead and unpack this one because this is the other section that really stood out to me. When James says, come now, you rich, I know I joked about it at the beginning, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Just walk through this with me. Why does he say this to the rich? Why does he tell the rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming up? What are these miseries? Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. So what's he telling us right there about worldly wealth, worldly success, just all the things of this world. What's the problem with them? Why should you weep? Perfect. Temporary. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have, this right here, you have laid up treasure in the last days. What do you think you're saving for? <laughs> That's what he's saying right there. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any kind of savings account in this life. Maybe God will tell you that you shouldn't have. That, that's not practical where we're going around. What he's saying is if you have hoarded all the stuff of this world that you can and you've gathered more and more and more and stored it up for yourself, exactly what do you think, first of all, is going to happen to you? And then secondly, what do you think at some point is going to happen to this whole world and all the things of this world when Jesus comes back? This takes us right back to 1 Corinthians 15 from a few weeks ago. Do you believe the resurrection's true? If you do, it's going to completely change the way you live right now. Like if you know that these are the last days of this type of life on earth, that there's a new heaven and a new earth coming that's going to last forever and ever and ever, and you don't take physical wealth and physical treasures into that, but you store up treasures in heaven now, there's spiritual treasures that you're storing up. And that's what's going to happen in this spiritual kingdom of God forever. How foolish is it 
to hoard and store up treasure here that is temporary, that doesn't last. It's going to corrode and rot and, and moths are going to eat it and thieves are going to steal it and markets are going to crash and hackers are going to get it out of your account. Like it's not going to last one way or the other. And if you give your life to that, if that consumes your heart, when it's gone, all that's going to be left for you is the misery of, I lost what I wanted the most. I gave my life to that and it's gone. So there's nothing to show for my life. And James is warning us, if you live like here and now is all there is, the moment is coming when you're going to have the misery of, there's nothing to show for my life. And that ties into all the be patient. But you know this truth. You know Jesus is coming back. And you know he's more valuable than everything in this world. You know that he's worth it. So don't come up short now. Live for him. Invest in his kingdom. Follow him. Give up everything you have. Right? Sell that treasure found in the field. Sell the pearl of great price to have his kingdom. Because when he comes back, you're going to know it was worth it. And if you live for him and you pour your life out for him, you will have something to show for your life. And so the contrast, when we're seeing what James is saying here, all these truths about God that start to pop out is that God is eternal. God is unchanging. Your wealth, your worldly accomplishments, your achievements, you can't, it's all temporary, it's fleeting, it's passing but not God. God is valuable. God is worth more. Than everything in this world. James comes on down here again and gets on us in this way. The danger is that all the stuff of this world, you would want it for you and you would use it for you in such a way that it just keeps turning you in on yourself more and more and more so that you fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. That the thing that's going to condemn you and destroy you is your self-centeredness that you put you at the center of your life instead of God. You live for you and you miss out on the things of God. And the danger is that you're gonna grab all this worldly wealth and worldly accomplishments and worldly achievements and worldly way of doing life and you're gonna feed the very thing that's destroying you. Do you see what he's saying there? That just like we fatten up this pig or this cow to get it ready for slaughter, like you're fattening up your heart in a way that you're just preparing yourself to be slaughtered when the judge comes back. It is self-destruction by self-indulgence. And he's saying, see the truth about who God is instead. If all this is going to turn you in on you, the rescue that you need is to be turned out from you, to have your eyes open to see who he is and what he's worth and how great he is and how glorious he is and to want him more than you want all this stuff so that it sets you free from this stuff to live for him So that then you find when this day comes, you were prepared for him and not prepared for slaughter. Do you see his flow of thought there? And how even the the reason that worldly wealth is insufficient is grounded in because it's not God. 
All these truths about God that he's eternal and unchanging and valuable and worth more than everything in this world. When you know those things about God, you realize that's not true about anything in this world. And so all the reasons why you should forsake the stuff in this world, it's not about self-denial. It's not about not having that stuff. It's about him. It's about he's worth more. He's better. He's greater. It's always a turn from, it's not just avoiding this negative stuff. It's a turn to the positive of following Jesus, pursuing Jesus, being united with Jesus, one with Jesus. And the reason that that living for this stuff and settling for this stuff is so dangerous for our hearts, the reason that it's so terrible in the end is not just because this stuff's terrible. It's because you're missing him. Oh, and to miss him is to miss everything. To love this stuff more than you love him, the problem is you're losing out on who he really is. And he is so worthy and so glorious and so valuable. And he's the one who brings compassion and mercy to your needy heart. This other stuff, it's ruthless and it's relentless. And it will let you down. There will come a time in your life when it will not be there. That's what James has said. You're going to look up and the stuff that you trusted, the stuff that you depended on is gone. He's not that way. He's always there. He always sees you. He always loves you. He always has more compassion and more mercy in your time of need. If you trade him for that, weep and wail for the misery of what you've lost. What else stands out to you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Gives to us freely. Therefore, instead of Wording. And I could spend way too long on this for the amount of time we've got left right now. And so I promise I won't. But again, if we see who God is, every good and perfect gift comes from him. You know, back in chapter one. If you believe that, and then you believe that he's a compassionate and merciful God who cares for you, who's taking care of you, who in his storehouse of resources. He has every good and perfect gift. If that's who he is, why do you ever need to hoard? Because you have a God who's compassionate and gracious and loves you and is going to take care of you, and he has it all. Any type of worldliness and selfishness, that it's because we don't believe who God is. Right? I've got to keep this for me because I may not have enough if I don't. Do you believe who he is? Do you believe that the only reason you have that is because he gave that to you? And he's got infinitely more where that comes from. That the truth of who God is frees you to love people extravagantly, lavishly, generously, recklessly, because you know, I'm not going to run out because I'm not the source. He's the source and he's compassionate and merciful and he's my father and he's going to take care of me. 
Like anytime we struggle with generosity, it's because we're struggling to believe who God is. Anytime we struggle with greed and hoarding and selfishness, it's because we're struggling to believe who God is. Anytime we struggle to love others, it's because we're struggling to believe how much God loves us. He has it all, and he's good and kind and merciful and compassionate, and he loves you. He's going to give you what you need. Not everything you want, because so much of our heart still wants worldly stuff we don't need, but he's going to give you what you need. And if you believe that about him, it frees you to live open-handed in every area of your life, to not keep for yourself. I see this even with Sydney and Emery a lot of times. Um, and I'm like this. Sydney especially is like me, but we'll buy them some kind of snack or some type of chips that they like. And Sydney will be eating her chips, and I want to eat a couple. We both have the savory, salty thing in the family. And I'll eat one, and she'll be like, don't eat too many. And she's already, like, rationing out. Like, here's how many I'm eating Monday. Here's how many I'm eating Tuesday. And I get it. Like, bless her heart. Like, the stuff that she has gotten from me that she can hate me for the rest of her life. Like, the sin that I've just passed on to her. Um, and I'll just look at her sometimes. I'm like, sweetie, I'll buy you another bag. <laughs> like, don't, don't you really? Like, I bought this for you to start with. And I love you. And you don't have to sit here and count every chip. I can, it seems so small, but you know how much time in our life we spend counting our chips? Really? And God prompts you. He's like, I want you to pour that bag out this morning for these missionaries that you didn't know an hour ago. And you're like, I really like this bag. I don't think I can pour it out. And he's like, I'll buy you another bag. Do you believe that about me yet? But do you see how it's always about him? Whether or not you share your bag of chips is about him. I promise you it really, like if we look to our hearts. And so as we wrap up here in a few minutes, we're going to worship, and that's going to give Faith and Miguel time to go and talk to our children for about 15 minutes. Our parents, so just so you know, that they will have heard from them as well if that's conversations you want to have later today. But as we worship and as you hear the value of Jesus, as you're reminded of, as we sing it to each other and remind each other of who Jesus is, I do want you to be prayerful this morning of what does it look like to not just love the stuff of this world and and hoard it and grab it all, but to really invest in the kingdom that matters forever. And and Faith and Miguel and their ministry, it's not the only way to do that. You know, I know lots of you have lots of missionaries, lots of ministries at this church that, that you're saying, yeah, God, when I give, it's because I believe that your kingdom's worth more than this world. And it's because I believe that you gave this to me and so I can trust you to take care of me in the future so I don't have to hold on to all this. And it's because I believe that you really are more valuable anyway, like that your giving already says all those things. But I I do want you to pray about how's God leading you? How's he working in your heart to support faith in in prayer? In everything to pray. That would we come alongside them and support them in giving, maybe even in going with them. And if you want more information from them about any of the ways to connect and partner with them, if you'll go uh, to their table outside, it'll be this side, my left, but you're right right now, um, and spend some time with them after the service is over. And then as I say it, Faith and Miguel, they're, they're our family friends. You know, I've known them for several years now. And so I don't say this lightly when I say it, but this isn't about Faith and Miguel. I hope you know that. 
It really is about Jesus and his gospel. It's about these truths about God. It's about who God is, that it would grow out of that. Um, And so James has been a really practical book, but a practical book grounded in because of who God is, therefore these things. And I hope this morning is one of those mornings for us where it's a time of what's it look like to put feet to this practically, to live out this truth of this is who God is. And he is at work in us. And we want to build our lives and build this church on the truth of who he is. And every time that he gives us a chance to express that, let's do that. Um, And so that's where we're headed in our next few minutes. I'm gonna pray for us right now. I'm gonna ask God to be doing this in us. And Keith and the worship team are gonna come and lead us in worship. Um, Thank you for, for your thoughts this morning and for listening to what the Spirit's teaching. And every week, it's an encouragement to me to see how God opens up his word when his people are gathered and to hear these things that you say and to look and just say, I see that right there. That is God talking to us out of the Bible this morning to his people as a whole. And so thank you for that again. Uh, Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to teach us by your spirit from your word. Thank you that you are compassionate and merciful. Father, stir up in us the type of faith that believes who you really are. May our lives and may this church be built on the gospel truth of who you are. We believe and we declare that Jesus is worth more than all the things of this world. All the other temporary, fleeting, deceptive things that would steal our hearts, we confess right now, Jesus is worth more. But Father, we also confess how rotten our hearts are and how often we want things that aren't Jesus. And so we ask you to keep working in us by your spirit. Keep creating pure hearts in us that love you and trust you and want you. We need you to do this work in us because you're the only one who can do it. And we believe that you are doing it and that you will keep doing it because of who you are, because of who you have shown yourself to be in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. And so all of our hope is in him, and we come to you in his name right now. Amen.